0: The reading today is taken from Galatians chapter 6, 1 to 18. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the spirit, you will reap eternal life from the spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I'm writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I carry the marks of Jesus branded on my body. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen.
1: Let's focus together now on this last chapter. Can you remember writing a letter? I'm not thinking necessarily by hand, But if you write a letter, um, even electronically, you come toward the end and you suddenly think of all the things that you didn't mention earlier and you put them all together right at the end in a rushed kind of way. And that's exactly what this passage uh, is partly doing. It's a beautiful climax for the book. The book of Galatians, unlike what we might popularly think, is one of the earliest letters of the Apostle Paul, written long before the Gospels and addressed to the people of southwestern Turkey, as we call it today. Can I bring you back here for a moment, though? Can you imagine a builder uh, drafting a plan to erect a building about, that includes in it a large inclusive space to enable people to serve one another and um, to worship. But in the example of this that I thought of, to sing operas. Some older people will remember this story. The builder has all the plans, all is accepted, all is adopted. The community embraces it well, in this case of the Opera House, dubiously. And then we sack the architect. And nowadays to go back to see some of his buildings, you have to go all the way to Denmark to find that this man who's contributed so much to Australia uh, still could build beautiful buildings, even on wharves in Denmark. Then what did we do with the Opera House? We abandoned his plans. We ripped them out from under him. We said, no, we would build a building that had two buildings, in fact, in it. And we would divide it into two. And we did. For about, I don't know, was it 30 years? And then we changed our minds and reverted to his plan all rather confusing and extremely expensive, but not unlike what the Apostle Paul was experiencing right early in his ministry. One of the places to which he went from the city of Damascus to commence his ministry as uh, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles was Galatia southwestern Turkey Turkey as we call it today he had done what God was calling him to do lead individuals to faith then lead them together in community to learn from the Apostles teaching and to encourage one another as new disciples in the Lord Jesus Christ he he was a prime mover of the whole church uh, planting ministry sent out as the word apostle means by God to do just this to gather Gentiles and Jews that had scattered all around the world that he might meet on occasions into faith with the Lord Jesus and into congregations. He was called to a task and he was the forerunner of a task that would include, eventually, in human history, the indigenous peoples of all the nations of the earth, a task that would embrace them, a task that would include Western Europe and also Eastern Europe. We've largely forgotten that in missions history. A task that would transform Europe, transform much of Asia, transform North and South America, where the church is growing more uh, aggressively than it is in Australia. Lead more Chinese, African, Filipino, Korean, Japanese, Caucasians, along with the peoples of every tribe and every nation. He started this under the hand and the authority and at the commissioning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the churches in Galatia were some of the first of these congregations that were planted. But before he wrote this letter and the cause of his writing the letter was the fact that some false... Builders came in to the church and told the people that his gospel, Paul's gospel, was not the right one. And told the people that they had to act, uh, add Jewish rituals, particularly male circumcision, to their faith in Christ to make it valid. And uh, pushed to revert to that idea. <laughs> I was amused. Um, Last Sunday, Monday night, when I went to our Bible study, where one of the persons, we'd, we've had a series in our church at Rouse Hill um, on Galatians, and one of the men who, in his 70s, beautifully came to Jesus, quietly sat down, there wasn't any pastors present, quietly sat down and said, With this Galatians series, I'm sick of hearing about circumcision. Well, the chapter 6 um, that we haven't got to in Bible study, we're following the Bible. We're doing Ron Wilson's trick. You have the sermons on Sunday and then you have a Bible study um, during the week. He started that in our association quite a long time ago, as I remember it. And um, so we're stuck with it for a couple of more weeks. But it's led me into this passage and to look at it And um, his ambition is relieved because this passage is not totally about circumcision. Uh, It's about a lot of other things. So Paul is distressed that his plans have been put aside. The congregations are not being built on the basis of his gospel. That is, if people are heeding the false teachers. And when you read this, I I don't know whether this is helpful to you, but when I read the book of Galatians, this is one of the most troubling churches that the Apostle Paul had to write to. Maybe not the worst, but one of them. I imagine Paul in some space or other, whether it's in prison when he's writing, which it may have been, or somewhere else, he's pacing up and down and up and down, and somebody else is frantically trying to keep up with him. Who doesn't have shorthand but has to write in ancient text while he's getting passionate with all the words of the first five chapters of this beautiful book. He's come and he wants to reassert his authority and the authority of God And the authority of the truth of the gospel you see if you add to the work of jesus on the cross and the resurrection you cancel the work of jesus on the cross and in the resurrection and he wants the galatians to understand that that the gospel is about a crucified servant king named jesus the one messiah of god He wants the false teachers in that congregation to um, give up their plans for he's the real builder under the hand of God. They are illicit imitations. They are insular. They are, in fact, a curse instead of a blessing to the people of God. So here he comes to the end of the letter where he's discussed and fought vigorously, theologically, to assert the truth of the gospel centered on Christ, the crucified and resurrected Lord. And he wants to pick up some loose ends and he wants to give some more concrete illustrations to the Christians as to how to express love and freedom in Christ. So in verses one to 10, uh, and if you have an electronic Bible or a paper Bible, then please have a look at that passage as I look at it t- together. We discover that this church, these churches, are the churches that have been imitated and have had similar problems for the last 2,000 years of the history of the church. And the dilemma here is to express love and especially love to those who have turned away from acting responsibly under the gospel and the teaching of the gospel whose lives are broken. So they're like the rest of us, but whose lives might be more broken than some others. And who are making bad decisions people who are straying people who need discipline and correction and he's saying to the Galatians you must come to this ministry expressing love that is genuine and Christ-like the people here who choose music choose it very thoughtfully And this thought has been picked up in uh, Liz's reading of the passage of Philippians. It's been picked up in our songs this morning, but we need to hear this stuff. When someone is in need of correction, a loving person will not do what Aussies mostly do, walk away and let them, well, it's their problem, I'll let them solve it. We won't do that, that's not love. But then we are faced with the problem, well how do we do this? And the passage gives us the answers. My friend is, if anyone is detected in transgression, you are to receive, you who have received the spirit should restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. The big temptation when I'm asked to help someone and that help will involve correction is that I will not listen to their story as adequately as I should. I will come with preconceived ideas that I am an expert about this theologically and I will come from some elevated place to speak of someone down here, nearer to the gutter. That's not what Paul says here. Or I'll come with a feeling of great strength that's presumptuous and forgets this direction. No, I need to come without that elitist attitude. Elitist attitudes that think I know, and that I know better than you, have nothing to do with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They often lead to smugness, and they often lead to harshness in human relationships and human behavior. Our treatment of the undisciplined person who needs correction is to come with tenderness and to come genuinely wanting to win them back. The purpose of any worthwhile discipline anywhere is to bring a person back online. It's never to punish for punishment's sake it's to correct it's to urge them back to a path and the Apostle Paul he is not a dispassionate person he's a passionate man is saying come to them with tenderness I think of some of my favorite texts in Scripture the unbelievable words of the lord jesus come to my mind when i look at this passage you remember them in chapter 11 of matthew and the last two verses of that chapter when jesus says come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you And learn of me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest to your souls. Have you lived with those two verses? Have you really? Have you read them and believed them and trusted them? Have you heard them in your heart? Have you heard them as if Jesus is saying them to you? Recently, one of my sons and his wife were given a book each. Same book, same title, same author. His name is Dane Otland. He is the son of Ray Otland. And the book was published this year. It's a beautiful small booklet worth getting called Gentle and Lowly And in that book, he um, is very careful to point out that that's exactly how Jesus is. He points out, the author points out, that Jesus does not simply meet our needs, he lives in them. He's there. He doesn't come near us holding his nose. He comes wanting to take us into his embrace, to become a partner with us and enable us to live. And Otland says he never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. That is how you get a person from one place to another that takes time that takes passion uh, that takes patience that takes love and that is exactly what Paul is telling the Galatians to do if you have to correct someone even if it's these false teachers who are teaching you about Jewish ritual you must come to them with tenderness and Christ-like love. I, I played soccer as a kid, very poorly. My sons, all four, thanks to Daniel Canini, play soccer very well. He coached them. And yesterday, here I am attending a soccer match. At least it's the last of my grandson's soccer matches. Mind you, some of my sons haven't given up playing soccer to this day. But I watched my 14-year-old grandson play soccer yesterday. And uh, in the grand final of the Rouse Hill Rams teams, there are 90 Rouse Hill Rams teams, and he was playing the finals in his division The game was terribly exciting. The two teams had fought one another four times during the season and two times the other team won and once our team won. Well, yesterday we wiped them off. (laughs) We won again. But you know in the journey, um, my grandson's father um, is a very enthusiastic soccer fan and he's one of those guys that can't go to netball because you yell at soccer but you're not allowed to at netball um, and uh, um, it was a great day but uh, and my son has been quite frustrated at times with the coach the coach is a member of his own congregation um, and he's just so gentle and such a godly guy It's just the way he relates to the boys is absolutely delightful. I think my son has thought he really shouldn't do this coaching, um, but he does. And yesterday, one of the best things that happened was that some of the boys of the winning team walked off the field with their arms around their opponents who were agonizing at their loss. You see, this coach understands soccer, but, and he understands that the people of God are called to be in a community that is a team. But he knows too that they're called to be in a community that's not a team. It's more than a team. And as they held their mates, one time adversaries, around the shoulder, they demonstrated that they'd picked this up from their coach. Service and assistance is the expression of Christ like love. And this is what should be. But. The passage goes on, it's a loaded passage, and Martin Luther gets hold of it in his commentaries on Galatians, which is a superb commentary on Galatians, and he says that Christians should have strong shoulders and mighty bones. A very finely built person in the congregation at Rouse Hill came to me last week and said, What's this about Martin Luther and strong bones and big shoulders, my shoulders are riddled with arthritis and here I am a little tiny person. But I can tell her and could tell her, no you're not actually, you have very strong shoulders, you know how to carry another person's load, you know how to be with people who are in distress and even in error. You know what it means to walk through pain and brokenness and healing for other people and you you know what it means to walk through that. That's what Martin Luther was talking about. I have to be strong enough to involve myself in risky relationships with other Christians and patient enough and loving enough to be there for them and to enable them to do their stuff as they follow the Lord Jesus. But there's something very importantly subtle about this directive as Paul gives it to us. He talks about carrying loads and then suddenly he turns around and says, but each person should carry their own pack. Any young parent who started off training their children to walk healthily and go through and explore Australian bush uh, comes to the point where they have to say to their children if they've got any sense, no, you have to carry your own pack. Here it is. One of the temptations of helping other people is that I can become paternalistic or just as bad maternalistic and patronising so I help them so much that they end up helpless, dependent, immature for an enduring time when the purpose of this is to help them find health and autonomy under the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrificial service, care and love. Servant leadership will always finally demonstrate itself when it's Christian, in empowering other people to be who they are and to serve Jesus with their gifts and their abilities and to make their own decisions and not be the children of everybody else, even though they're really physically and mathematically adults. So help and guide and give um, in a way that empowers others rather than subtly takes away. You see, the false teachers in the Galatian church were coming in as know-it-alls and suggesting that they had it wrong and that Paul was a failure and that they should um, just do something else. Mutual support means that I support you, but you support me. And you probably will outgrow me and I will rejoice in that growth and maturing. So Paul is saying, you just need to be very careful about how you do this, and aware of the the temptations that you may face. And then a little note, an important little note. Those who are taught need to care for those who teach. I've been in the ministry long enough to remember the days when Baptist people proudly on occasions, uh, and I can tell you, it sometimes it was, all, it was very devastating, were guilty of suggesting, in joke form, mind you, they had the subtlety to do that, but it was callous anyway, Well, we pray to God that he will keep you humble, you the pastor, the teacher. We'll make sure we keep them poor. Now, I don't hear that anymore, praise God. But we are more affluent now and we are more acquisitive now We're out to get more, that means we're meaner with other people. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You look after the one who teaches you. You care for them and you do it monetarily and you do it emotionally. There was a common story too that if you didn't preach to please the congregation they would refrain from making an offering. Equally monstrous behaviour and quite contradictory to this passage of scripture. Again, it has an elitism. I know my theology better than you do. You're wrong, so I won't pay you. That's a very (laughs) down-to-earth, concrete thing. I have every confidence that when you get a new senior pastor, you will pay him or her properly because you'll read this directive and obey it. But please don't forget it. Chapter 5. Of Galatians talks a lot about freedom in Christ freedom that is not freedom to indulge the flesh but to control it freedom that means I do not exploit or abuse family members neighbors or even my opponents but serve them instead and Galatians 5 as you well know talks about the fruit of the Spirit and tells us that we need to cultivate them. I cannot do that without I cooperate with the Spirit of God. They are God, the Holy Spirit's fruit, not mine. And the first of them is agape love, love that gives, love that sacrifices, love that serves, love that makes... The kindness something deeper and more profound I cannot know joy either unless it's inspired and energized by the Spirit of God and as unless it's fired by God's purpose for the world and for our lives and then I cannot do this this peacemaking thing that's talked about here unless my peace is inspired by the work of the Spirit of God and the work of the Lord Jesus that gives to me a peace relationship with God first of all and then enables me to live peaceably with other men and women and boys and girls And I can't be generous, not really, in my behaviour or my attitudes, unless that's inspired by the Spirit of God. It has to be in a contemporary, harsh, atheistic world that's not very interested in other people. Notice all the fruit of the Spirit are relational gifts. They're all to do with how I relate to other people. They're all to do with behavior. They're not some mysterious internal thing that's going on privately. They're all out there in the midst of relationships. And then I am to be gentle, to embrace the, win- the wisdom of tenderness. And of course the one that none of us want on the list, the gift of self-control or restraint rather than extravagance and impulsiveness belongs to the fruit of the Spirit. And I can't do that. This all comes about because I'm thinking of what Paul says here in the text about the rules of harvest. I'm a farmer's son and an addicted gardener. So the rules of harvest are very important ones in my the fun parts of my life. But for a farmer, my brother, and any other farmer, the rules of harvest are critically important. I need to be patient, to wait for the harvest to come. I need to sow the right grain, put on the right grain kind of organic fertilizers. There's an irony in this country about fertilizers. Who pays agricultural graduates of university for their training and the faculties in universities across this country? Chemical companies. That is counterproductive in the extreme. The right harvest will wait and will be patient with the soil and the climate. And the climate can go against me. Doesn't need climate change to do that. It can just go against me. The crops are looking beautiful. The pictures are appearing on your Facebook page of canola, yellow in the fields, anticipating a harvest. But if it stops raining, it won't happen and the farmer can't do anything about that. Great crops this year, great numbers of sheep across this country, I'm sorry about these agricultural things, sort of, I'm sorry, sort of sorry. So what happens? The prices have dropped all around the world, but the patient farmer will still stay with it. They'll explore new ways of doing things. They'll explore crop diversity. They'll do a whole lot of stuff. And Paul takes that illustration and applies it to you and me and says you have to persevere in applying the rules of harvest. And that means you keep sowing to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of these words ultimately therefore I keep sowing according to Scripture I keep listening and learning from Scripture I keep heeding the Spirit of God nothing of the Spirit of God will contradict Scripture that's genuinely of the Spirit of God so I need to do that and I need not to sow to the flesh because that only leads to disaster and only leads to foolishness. So look out for one another, exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit, be especially tender with those who are frail and weak and in need and broken And keep mutually caring for one another and even do that for the false teachers in your midst with the hope of winning them back to the gospel of Christ then I'm up to verse 10 now verse 18 to 11 to 18 talks about the need of the Galatians to take on God's eye view to take on God's global vision that we've already talked about when we were talking about Pakistan and persecuted sections of the church. Uh, It's a a blessed relief in one way. We move away from the plots and the politics of a local church in Galatia to God's grand design for for the whole of the world. No more political campaigns and plots in the early church, but God's cosmopolitan ambitions. Notice in the text, and notice in the comparable texts in other parts of the book of Galatians, the preoccupation with crucifixion. The Apostle Paul says in this section, I will boast in nothing other than the cross of Christ. That reminds you, does it not, of chapter two, verses 19 to 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christ has been crucified. And then Paul carries that thought of crucifixion a bit further. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified it's the flesh with its passions and desires so I as a disciple of Jesus are to keep working at being crucified I love John Stott's comments comments on Romans chapter 6 when he talks about baptism The service the ritual that happens there in that pool when people go down having confessed Jesus is Christ they are attending an early funeral service I'm now dead to my old life and I rise up out of the water that's a picture of a new life that I have received in Christ at the time of my conversion And I'm having this funeral today to tell you all that I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm crucified with Christ. And I need to remember that always, as Romans 6 tells us. But then Paul adds another component to this thought of crucify. He says, not only is Jesus crucified, not only am I crucified as one of his disciples, he says, the world, look at the text, the world is rela- was crucified to me. What on earth is he talking about? <clears throat> the Jewish false teachers advocated that Christians should be circumcised. Here we are again. They should revert to Judaism and apply this Judaistic ritual and the pressure in a local congregation hearing that from teachers constantly and forgetting the apostolic teaching, I can decide to do that just to make them happy. No, 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 no. (laughs) What did Paul say here? Uh, The world is crucified. Why would I mark my body to please a world that I'm crucified to and it is crucified to me. I don't have to impress these people. No matter how they manipulate and uh, dictate, I just am to live as a faithful servant of Jesus and trust in the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus. I am to remember that the pivotal thing in human history is this point. Of the crucifixion of Jesus. He was crucified, he rose from the dead, and at that point, a new world was born. The exalted Lord Jesus rules. Lots of people don't recognize that, but that doesn't change the fact that he rules. And has from that glorious day when he was enthroned on a cross and that day very close to the time when he gave the most precious gift of the Holy Spirit to individual Christians people who turned to him and to congregations of people who followed him the Spirit which enable us to recognize who he was, the son of God, the Lord, the servant king, the exalted Lord Jesus in heaven, and the one who will return at the end of history and change the world and the cosmos as we know it. There is no room for pleasing the popular trends when the world is crucified to me and I am crucified with Christ there is no room for elitism in this place where I can think I'm better educated than you or less or whatever this is a community of young Christians and mature Christians female Christians and male Christians adult Christians and child Christians Healthy Christians, uh, unhealthy Christians or well Christians. Socially unimpressive people and socially impressive. It it consists of um, well educated people and poorly educated. And let me say in Australian society, if you're well educated, there's an inverted kind of snobbery that wants to bring you down all the time. As if that's some fault. If you properly examine Christian history, Indeed, Western history, some of the finest minds in Western history are the minds of men and women who follow Jesus. And then on top of that, there were brilliant scientists or brilliant medicos or all sorts of other kinds of things. Why we have to cut people off at the knees is quite beyond me and not appropriate. Just accept that there are some here that are well educated and some who are not so well educated. Praise God in our society, most of us are educated and all of us are committed if we are at all healthy to lifelong learning anyway. And uh, this diverse community is one to which we are called. this community includes refined people and unrefined people, scruffs and well-dressed people, upfront people and followers. We need both, politically informed people and politically uninformed people. We all stand on level ground in front of Jesus' cross. There is no exalted place for human beings there. And look at the text. This is really confronting for the false teachers because Paul is saying something that is abhorrent to them. He is saying it is God's global purpose that every man and woman and child who comes to Jesus in faith and trust now is not only a disciple of Jesus, But one of the things that that makes them is a child of Abraham, the Israel of God. Israel was called into being, you remember Abraham, in order to be a blessing to the rest of humankind. It would be a Jew that Jesus would choose to become incarnate as and it would be Jewish people who would therefore be a blessing for the rest of the world the old Israel forsook its obligations and covenants to a very large degree the new Israel ought not to copy it but to follow Jesus and serve the world in which we live for Jesus sake by bringing the good news of Jesus, the crucified Lord and the servant King, empowered as we are by the Holy Spirit into this community and seeking to see men and women in this community. So the the text concludes with the fact that I am part of the Israel of God with all the privileges of that and all the responsibilities of that. And all of this comes about not by human effort, not by pleasing people, but entirely and totally by the grace and mercy of God in our lives. And I am to remember that for the whole of my journey From the time of now whence my faith is added to by sight and I am in the presence of the Lord Jesus and the indicators that I follow the Lord Jesus are the joyous presence of the Holy Spirit and the fact that I serve other men and women in Jesus' name with patience and an energising hope as we look forward together to the fulfilment of God's purpose for humankind. When you pray for the church, and you pray for the church that's discriminated against, don't forget, please, this beautiful nation of Turkey, as we used to call it, or Turkia, And don't forget the difficulties of the evangelical church in that country and pray for them. They need your prayer as we need theirs.